Melody, you want to try? I feel like you're good with your musical theater background. You can <laughs> do the like. I can break out into song. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I can just say, Aaron, can you tell me about that exact moment? How did we come up with this idea for enough? Yeah, I was on the back of a bus in the Amazon with Veja, French sneaker brand, meeting with the wild rubber tappers who were protecting the Amazon by using the wild Amazonian rubber to make sneakers. And what Veja has done, and it's so genius, is they figured out a way to make the value of the trees greater than the value of clear cutting the forest for raising cattle, for lumber. And I thought about, you know, why can't we create our own platform for telling the stories about the people who are solving these things. And I got off the plane after the Amazon, having not slept, and I met up with you. We went to some small East Village Vietnamese restaurant, and I said, why don't we create something? And you immediately said that we have to do it. So here we are. This is a show about the amazing people doing amazing work for the environment. It seems like a lifetime ago now that we had this conversation. I mean, just the mere fact that we were in a restaurant harkens back to a different time. But I just remember I had personally kind of reached this breaking point where I was kind of sick of hearing of all the things that were wrong without anybody offering up the solutions when I know that there are people out there that are doing the work. And particularly in the year that we've had, which we never, of course, could have predicted, it feels like we need these stories more than ever because all we hear about are all the things that are wrong with the world. And yet there are so many wonderful people out there that are taking real action and making real meaningful change. Don't get me wrong. I think the world is fucked up. <laughs> but enough people are telling those stories. So let's tell some positive, inspirational things that light a fire under people to do something. I, I remember sitting in the restaurant and we just latched on to this word of enough just because there is a duality to it. It's both a statement of what we've had enough of, but it's also a celebration that we do have enough to go around, that there shouldn't be this scarcity mentality. That's why we started this podcast, to be able to speak to the designers, the artists, the activists, the people who are making change and have had enough, enough of environmental destruction, enough of all of this overwhelm, and are actually finding real solutions. And actually, we work with those people every day. I'm Erin Allweiss. And I'm Melody Serafino. And we're the co-founders of Number 29, an agency that focuses on sustainability, design, and advancing social change. This is the Enough Podcast. We're here because we know we have more than enough resources to make change. And we've had enough of climate destruction. So Erin, who is our first guest? Our first guest is Celine Simon. Celine is the founder of Slow Factory, an organization that deals at the intersection of climate and culture. She is someone who inspires me personally because she doesn't just talk about action, but she finds ways to bring people together to make things change. And it just felt so right to have her as the first guest because she was actually with us in the Amazon on that bus. It was hot and humid and noisy, and we'd just been talking to local wild rubber tappers. I remember that beautiful trip and it was also very life-changing for me as well to be deep into the lungs of the earth and to really feel part of this community and learning a lot from, from them, from community-driven work and community-centric uh, systems. And there are solutions out there. They require for us to dismantle the system that we've known. So we have to be at ease with unlearning and so Definitely a life-changing trip for me as well. I mean, we've had enough of the old systems and ways of doing things. 
And I think of you as a professional troublemaker, which I know you like to describe yourself that way. Tell me about Slow Factory, about your work and the things that are on your mind right now. Okay, Slow Factory, I mean, it's always so funny to to say what Slow Factory does because it's this idyllic company that exists despite the capitalist system because we aren't really selling anything. We're not helping anyone sell something. So uh, Slow Factory is a non-for-profit working at the intersection of human rights and climate uh, justice, mainly anchored in the fashion industry. We've been doing that since 2012. And a big pillar of what we do is in education because we really believe that education is the backbone of progress. If we want to see a better world, we have to be all bringing each other on the same level, on the same wavelength, if you will. And so a big part of that is through education. Yeah. Speaking of education, you have a huge initiative. I'd love to hear more about this because it is so counter to how our capitalistic system operates that you are offering this for free to educate people about the state of the world, but really empowering people to be able to make change. So I want to hear more about your university, which I'm going to enroll in because (laughs) I want to keep learning. Definitely. Thank you so much. So the initiative is called Open Education. Open Education is a concept that existed prior to the Slow Factory. It's basically what has built the web that we all know and love. That's how we've built all of these apps that we know and love. And, uh, you know, my DNA prior to entering the space of fashion, I was in tech and I was a big part, a big contributor to the open education movement, peer-to-peer knowledge and open licensing you know, creating things that everyone can share. So all of that kind of DNA is what I'm bringing to the fashion industry. Uh, Open education is a series of free classes that are taught by Black, Brown, Indigenous and minority ethnic folks, people, scholars, thinkers, change makers to Black, Brown, Indigenous, minority ethnic people. But of course, it's open to all. Usually this type of information is behind closed doors or you would have to, you know, enroll to these classes within an institution that would normally charge you to learn about these concepts. But Open Education and the Slow Factory, we are providing access to paid apprenticeship to some of our students in companies like Adidas, Stella McCartney, Studio 189, Colina Strada, Wake, the jewelry line. And so we are providing uh, applied knowledge that eventually helps you to enter the workforce with an advantage. I love that you're touching on the exclusivity of education and the resources that are available to people, because especially the environmental community has been incredibly exclusive. And so I think it's really remarkable what you're doing to create space. And I know It's a lot of work. I find it ironic that you're called Slow Factory because you're the fastest operating human being that I know, even though you do it all with such joy. But I'm curious what slow means to you also in this moment. Okay, so what does slow mean to me? I feel like the pace at which we were working in the tech industry was fast, fast, fast. I always imagine that I'm like a bit like a an octopus, you know, like you have like many different hands and you're just like, you do it all at the same time. There was this fast paced energy that I was like uh, feeling a bit, you know, the theme of enough, like, when is this enough? Like I have, I've had enough, (laughs) I've had enough of trying to run, 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 run for something that felt like endless. And so, you know, you come into the fashion industry and there's the similar pace and you realize that that kind of pace of everything goes fast, fast, fast is the 
capitalistic system trying to uh, very quickly deplete the earth at a very, very fast pace. And when we launched in 2012 was uh, the day NASA landed Curiosity on Mars. And, uh, you know, we were working with NASA Images at the time. And this idea of slowing down felt needed because when we were watching the earth from space, it felt like ah, time was suddenly stopped. You know, like suddenly we had this moment where we could have a perspective and breathe and evaluate and digest and be present in the moment with our emotions. And I felt that that didn't exist in our culture. And 2012 is also the year where my first child was born. And I felt like everything that I knew before, I needed to change the pace of it and I needed to significantly slow down. And at the time, you know, the slow food movement had gone into mainstream in a way. People were already getting aware of what is it that they're eating. You know, the farm to table concepts were being developed and felt like this concept needs to evolve into every other industry. And I happened to be working in the fashion industry and wanting to launch it with the fashion industry. So slowing down our exploitation of the earth, slowing down, halting even our exploitation of human labor. We can't continue like that. It's, it's completely soulless. Like we can't continue in that speed. We have to slow down collectively. I mean, there are so many gems here. I also just feel like your constant curiosity is really a driving force. And to me, it's always the greatest attribute of a human being is, are they still curious? And what wisdom can we pass on to one another? And I do feel like, though, tapping into culture the way that you have, using fashion design to be able to share these themes and educational resources is so embedded in what you do. And also just fighting the systems or breaking the systems down that aren't working for us. You wrote, I loved this. You said, currently the dialogue around sustainability remains centered on a capitalist model, encouraging the masses to buy their way into a sustainable lifestyle. I'm curious for you, has it been so strange to see sustainability get twisted into meaning something else that capitalism has absorbed it? So we almost need an entirely new language. Definitely. And the language has been evolving without shame. So working in education is embracing the curious minds without shaming anyone that's interested. Because once you start shaming or acting as though you are smarter than someone else, you are embodying white supremacy in ways that we discourage. We don't want to encourage that type of energy into our classrooms, into our communities. We owe it to indigenous folks before us. We owe it to black folks before us, the civil rights movements in the United States that is ongoing efforts into you know, dismantling white supremacy. These are the concepts that are also continuously evolving into how do we translate these issues? How do we talk about these issues? I think that it's an industry that is alive and anything that you deal with that is alive, you are gonna be forced or asked to be flexible, to be open-minded, to adapt. And the ideas that we want to encourage within Slow Factory and within our communities is this idea that, yeah, knowledge is ever evolving. And so basically you got to approach it from a position of curiosity, a position of empathy. And the more you know, the less you know. That's a concept that any scientist will let you know, you know, like that's where this vertigo of knowledge comes in, where the more you know, the more you're like, oh, my gosh. Um, then what do we do? This knowledge 
without being applied is just knowledge essentially it's nothing we have to come back to earth and be like okay what is it that we can do I love the description of information vertigo, that the more you learn, you really get turned around. It's this disorientation. And I I keep going back to this astronomical number. American billionaires have made $434 billion between March and May during the pandemic. And meanwhile, people don't have enough money. The ecosystems that we love and care about are in such a state of destruction. The West Coast is on fire. The Southern United States is getting hit by hurricanes. And what happened to where you come from, your origin story of Beirut and Lebanon, that was an environmental disaster that was man-made. And this is something that is just heartbreaking, but I'm so done with the word heartbreaking because we now need to get our hands dirty to be done with this, to actually take the action. So I really want to hear about how that informed your work and what is on your mind with Beirut and how people can be of support. Um, Yes, as you said, the riches are getting richer and the the poor are getting poorer, and that's the capitalist system that exists under white supremacy that is designed in this way. This system is sustaining itself. And so that's why these concepts are important to discuss from a perspective that isn't just US-centric. The explosion in Beirut was man-made. The ammonium nitrate that was being stored in Lebanon is a chemical that is widely used in agriculture and as a fertilizer. And so Just to tell you something that can explode and destroy the life of so many is something we're putting in our earth that is growing our food. Like this already can just raise the alarm (laughs) on a global scale about what is it that we are doing with our earth, with our land. This is an environmental issue that is tied to a human rights issue. We are not the only country that has ammonium nitrate stored in ways that is toxic and dangerous that could explode in that way. I think the explosion in Lebanon has highlighted the fact that we're using these chemicals that are used both to kill each other and to fertilize the land. And that is the problem here. And, uh, you know, I know the audience probably knows all of this so that they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so what do we do? (laughs) But what do we do is we continue talking about these concepts in a way that aren't uh, making us feel nihilist about the solution, that are not encouraging us to be like, oh, well, we're doomed. No, we are not doomed. You know, like there are solutions out there that need our attention. We have to begin immediately in looking at giving the earth a break, at least when it comes to the fashion production, where we don't need to harvest that much cotton. You know, we have enough cotton, we have enough fiber, we have enough materials out there that already exists that should be looked into in a framework that takes waste and turns it into a resource instead of just continuing to plant mindlessly and exploit the earth. We have less than 60 years left of topsoil on the planet. Okay, so what we need is uh, slowing down. You know what we were saying earlier? We need to be able to slow down and allow the earth to recover and allow the earth to produce food because there is enormous food inequality and there is enough food on this planet for everybody. The problem is the capitalist system that we all believe is basically the one and only truth that exists on this planet, where before... Uh, white supremacy became that powerful, we had other truths that existed, other cultures that existed. And with the erasure of these cultures comes the erasure of the knowledge. And how do we live on this planet in a way that is good for the earth, 
and good for the people. And that is the quest that we are interested in at Slow Factory and in unlearning these concepts that are unnatural. They don't make any sense. <laughs> They aren't even the ultimate knowledge. It's actually the opposite of progress. And when we're talking about progress, when we're talking about change, when we're talking about what can we do, then we have to commit collectively to wanting to be a part of progress. And if that is the case, if we have this global mission and this global agenda together, where do we ground? The only truth is learning about nature, about how nature functions, you know, that's our environment. I think it's so interesting that as you talk about this grounding in nature, you've actually moved to nature. 2020 has been such a big fuck you that got that hit us starting with COVID, starting with revolution, continuing with fires that we're being really shown a reflection of what it looks like if we aren't making the changes to these systems. And so apart from this more macro look at how it's affecting people, I'm curious for you, what does grounding look like for you? Like, how do you do that? And how do you find the joy and community in all of this? What grounds me? What grounds me, I feel like, is basically walking in the earth and walking on the earth, walking barefoot on the earth, you know, being surrounded by trees or being in nature. I feel like that's a universal feeling that we all share as humans around the world that what grounds us naturally is nature. There are so many studies that actually putting your hands in the soil and working with soil releases endorphins and all sorts of things that help reduce depression and anxiety. And so we recently moved into, we relocated all of our operations in upstate New York. It's uh, here in a, a house that can host people and that we are utilizing as a research center for people to be able to come to the slow factory and retreat from New York and go in the woods, if you want, in that slow forest that I call the slow forest, because the work is so demanding on a, on a physical level, on a mental level. I really needed me and my team to have the opportunity to retreat at times and to offer the space as a research center so we can slow down because it was becoming impossible to have a moment of slowing down. Even when we would meet to have, you know, a drink or tea or whatever, we're like on New York City electricity vibes, like we're like freaking out basically. And we really needed to have the space that we can host our peers, host our activists and collaborators to come and experience this moment together to recharge. Yeah, to put your hands in the soil, so to speak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here, Celine. It's like I'm in the slow forest with you. Except you're in a closet. Don't tell anyone I'm in a closet. <laughs> I'm curious just to end with, what have you had enough of? And what does enough mean for you? I think like I've had enough of self-doubt and self-loathing and self destruction. And for me, I describe it as internalized colonialism. I've had enough of hurting my own self and turning against me. And uh, I've had enough of mediocrity, like uh, <laughs> I've had enough of, you know, watching other, you know, especially white male <laughs> peers install a feeling of fear or a general feeling of negativity or, or we are doomed to the general public, really pushing everybody into apathy. And I've had enough of that. This doesn't lead us anywhere. And it introspects and internalizes everything into self-hatred and feeling bad and feeling guilty. And that doesn't change anything. That actually stops us from progress. And that's what I've had enough of. 
when do you feel like you have enough? Like, when does it feel like this is really good? Actually, when I have good stuff going on, I have not enough of. I want all the love. I want all the good. I want all the joy for me and for everyone that I know. I feel like at times when I'm in a moment of peace and love and I'm like, okay, that's enough. It's too much. I force myself to expand even larger and and embrace it even bigger because we are taught to stop it. We are taught to like repress ourselves into these moments of joy and these moments of love. And it's just a reminder like, no, I don't have enough of that. Well, I really feel that right now speaking with you. And I'm just so grateful. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much. Ciao, ciao. She's incredible. Uh, I think the thing that stuck most with me is when she said education is the backbone of progress. That is really powerful. Which actually brings me to something we agreed to do every episode. We know talking about climate change can be really overwhelming because it's hard to see what we as individuals can do to change such broken systems. That's why each week we're going to share at least one simple action that feels achievable and meaningful and helps us all work towards a better world. As our first tip, I want to encourage everyone to follow Slow Factory on Instagram. I know it sounds like a small and trite action, but because Celine is so dedicated to educating people, that's entirely what the platform is about. And then to take it one step further, just going beyond Instagram, definitely sign up for the next cycle of her free open education curriculum. In true Celine fashion, Slow Factory's open education program is a reflection of her desire to really democratize the conversation around sustainability, which I think is so important that often lives in these very specific spaces. And it's just a reflection of of the work to make that more accessible. I also just loved how she brought up food systems. It's something I'm really passionate about. It's something we've done a lot of work on at number 29. And it's a great transition to kind of foreshadow our guest for next week, who will be talking about sustainability specifically in the restaurant industry. I'm so excited about who Melody's talking to next week. This is a brilliant person at the forefront of food waste, and I don't want to give away too much, but listen in. You're going to learn so much from her. Thanks for listening to Enough. As always, you can find links to Slow Factory, Celine, Number 29, and of course, the Enough newsletter in our show notes. Enough is a podcast from Number 29 and Pineapple Street Studios. It's produced by Natalie Brennan and Sophie Bridges. Pineapple's executive producers are Max Linsky and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Original composition by Hannes Brown. See you next week.